Well, I don't know about you, um, but to this day, I still feel like I have so much to learn. And you know, those lessons in life start very young. Uh, For instance, here are some lessons that kids have learned. When your mom is mad at your dad, don't let her brush your hair. To watch your food. And no matter how hard you try, you can't baptize cats. Not possible. As you get older, of course, the lessons keep coming. Here, Here are a few others I came across. You cannot make someone love you. All you can do is stalk them and hope they panic and give in. (laughs) Not such a good lesson. (laughs) Never under any circumstances take a sleeping pill and a laxative on the same night. (laughs) Just never let it be said, I didn't give you some good, good advice here. And this is kind of a funny one. Take out the fortune before you eat the cookie. Okay. The reason I, that one struck me is uh, I actually uh, uh, did a Panda Express this week, and uh, I love the hot and sour soup, and, and, and I got a fortune to die for. Here, here it was. Uh, the fortune said, you shall soon achieve perfection. Let it be known here and now. I, I will soon achieve perfection. <laughs> My wife, Lisa, said, I'm still the one that gets to let you know when that happens. <laughs> and it ain't yet. Right. <laughs> Well, the truth is, we're never done, are we? We never stop needing to learn. It's true of life. And it's just as true in our, when it comes to our life of faith and, and our life with God. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm still learning after all these years, and I still have so much more to go. And today, we pick up uh, in the book of Acts, chapter 18. Uh, it is the second missionary uh, journey of Paul. It's still underway. And he's going around with guys like, you know, Chip, Butch, Skip. That's what you do when you get to those names, Kathy. Just give them little nicknames. Yeah. And, and this is what we read. Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because Claudius, the emperor had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Now think of it. They would make tents and minister together there for a year and a half. And in Paul's letters, we learned that at one point, Priscilla and Aquila risked their very lives for him. And it was in their home that one of those first communities of Christ followers met week by week. Now, when Paul began his journey home, Priscilla and Aquila accompanied him to Ephesus. Paul sails on, Priscilla and Aquila stay behind to become part of the emerging church there. In fact, to be leaders in the emerging church there. And here we come to a bit of a parenthesis in the book of Acts. The narrative breaks away from Paul and offers a spare but inspiring look into the lives of three people who made a lasting impact for Christ then and who still have some important lessons for us today. And so we read, beginning with verse 24 of Acts chapter 18. A Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord And he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, 
though he knew only the baptism of John. That's right. He only knew the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. Right? Polite way of saying, (coughs) can we, like, have dinner with you and talk? (laughs) When Apollos wanted to go to, uh, to Achaia, the believers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted the Jews in public debate, providing from them, from the scriptures, proof that Jesus was the Messiah. Well, let's begin with some observations. Just as Priscilla and Aquila had taken in Paul, now we see they befriend Apollos. Now, the scripture wants us to take note. He is already highly educated and immersed in the scriptures. In fact, Apollos is a native of the renowned ancient city of Alexandria. It was named for Alexander the Great. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. And it was famed for its towering lighthouse, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, as well as its legendary library, which housed as many as 700,000 scrolls and documents. This was a major center of learning. Apollos has major credentials. Now Apollos journeys to Ephesus, the second largest city in the Roman Empire, and home to another of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the magnificent temple of Artemis, the goddess of fertility. And it's into this capital of ancient commerce, culture, and pagan worship that that Apollos comes, his faith in God electrified by the news that Jesus of Nazareth, crucified and risen, is the Messiah. Well, he goes to the local synagogue to share his newfound faith. And now the lessons begin. It's here Apollos discovers he still has much to learn. And I think we have some things to learn too. And the first is this. Jesus is the key that opens Scripture. Jesus is the key that opens the Scriptures to us. And the Scripture can open doors for our faith and understanding of Him. Somebody, somehow, somewhere, shared the story of Jesus with Apollos. And because he had a clue about the Scriptures, it just lit him up. Now imagine... You're a Jewish believer, you're steeped in scripture, and you hear of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. You wonder, and then you read again with new eyes, scriptures like this from Isaiah chapter 53. He was despised and rejected by others, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Like Apollos, Jewish lovers of God poured over the scriptures and were stunned by how Jesus illuminated and fulfilled the promises of God. And, God, and, and God's promise to share His grace with all people. Well, one of the realities we face today is very simply that as a people, as a culture, we are not immersed 
in Scripture. If we were, we would be lit up much more often. <laughs> right? Now, I came across, you know, some signs. You may not be reading your Bible enough. Here's just one. You think Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob may have had a few hit songs in the 1960s. Actually, it was Peter, Paul, and Mary. <laughs> uh, in college, um, I really got a clue about how unread and unfamiliar we can be. Uh, our Old Testament professor at Pacific Lutheran University took us on a field trip to worship at a Jewish synagogue. Well, we arrived and took our places in the pews, and they, they had pew hymnals and, and pew Bibles for everyone. And a, a friend who was sitting next to me poked me in the side, held out one of the Bibles, and he said to me in a shocked whisper, Bah, these Bibles don't have a New Testament. How can they just do that? It was a Jewish synagogue. Okay, some of you will get that later. <laughs> it's like, dude, they, it's their Bible, right? Uh, they didn't pick up on the Jesus thing yet. Okay, anyway. <laughs> uh, the reality is, uh, just as Jesus is the key to the scriptures, the scriptures uh, can light us up to him as well. You know, a thorough knowledge of the Old Testament can just literally, you know, light up the teachings of Jesus in the New Testament. Let me give you just an example. I didn't come across this until just a few years ago. You know, I mean, a, a, a Christian university, uh, years of seminary, years of study as a pastor, and, and it's like a Christ church friend lays this one on me. Um, you may recall the story of the woman who uh, bled for years, had a hemorrhage and bled for years, and she sees Jesus in a crowd, and she pushes through the crowd, and she reaches out her hand just to touch, right, the edge of his cloak or garment. This is what the scriptures say. A woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind and touched the edge of Jesus' cloak. She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Now, just a few chapters later, we see something similar. People, this is Matthew chapter 14, people brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed. Well, what is up with the edge of Jesus' cloak? Somebody have a clue? This is probably not news to some of you, but this is just remarkable. In the book of Numbers, Chapter 15, verse 37, we find this command of God to Moses. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and tell them to make fringes on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a blue cord on the fringe at each corner. You have the fringe so that when you see it, you will remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them. So on the corners of the Jewish prayer shawl are talents. And the Hebrew word are, is, you know, kanaf. And it's not only uh, 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 defined as edge, but as wings. As wings. Later, centuries later, one of the prophets says this of the coming Messiah. Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. But for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise. Okay? The son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. 
oh my goodness. It was part of the Jewish hope and faith that when Messiah appeared, you would know him because there would be healing in his wings, in the edge, the fringe, the talit of his prayer shawl. Isn't that astounding? So what were they doing? She was just trying to... She was literally confessing her faith that Jesus is the Messiah by reaching out her hand. Is it any wonder he turned and said, Woman, your faith has made you well. I mean, that's just one example, uh, not only of how Jesus fulfills and lights up the Old Testament, but how the Old Testament fulfills and lights up the stories of Jesus. And think of it. The, Jew, the Christians of that first generation only had the books initially of the Old Testament. Oh, how I want us to grow in our faith and understanding of the Scriptures. And not only is Jesus the key to Scriptures, not only is He the reason we should immerse ourselves in the gift of God's written Word, the passage today lets us know that we can open doors for Jesus into the lives of others. Here we go. Priscilla and Aquila, what did they do? They opened their hearts and invited Apollos into their home. Why? Because here was this brilliant, highly educated guy, but he only knew part of the story. He had the head stuff taken care of, sewn up, slam dunk. But he only knew of the baptism of John, which means he did not know about Jesus' teachings and the promise of Jesus of the Holy Spirit. Think of that. And it's, it's the gift and outpouring and promise of the indwelling Holy Spirit that gives us the power to believe, that gifts us for life and for ministry. In those conversations with Priscilla and Aquila, Apollos goes from right faith uh, in his head that Jesus is the Messiah to the faith of his heart. The Spirit lights him up And he now has broken into a relationship, a living, personal relationship with the risen, living Lord. Is it any wonder he says, man, i got to go share this news. And literally, in the next verse, we see that they send him out. His faith now fully formed, you know, more fully formed and ready to fly. You know, with the good news of Jesus and the outpouring of his spirit. You know, something similar happened uh, to John Wesley, the the founder of of the Methodist movement and the Methodist church. Uh, You may not know this. um, uh, John Wesley was born into a Christian family. Um, uh, He uh, attended Oxford University. He was a professor in both Greek and logic. Think of that. This is a bright guy, right? A living Apollos, right, In in the early 1700s. And... Um, he feels a call to the mission field uh, of North America. And he is sent by a mission society to uh, share the gospel with the Native Americans uh, of Georgia. And his ministry there was an utter failure. He bombed. He just absolutely bombed. And he, he had to sail home just feeling utterly inadequate and, and like he had failed God. When he gets back, he connects with a small group uh, meeting in someone's home 
uh, uh, they were part of a, a small group movement that began in, in the area uh, of Germany and made its way to England. And the group was beginning a study of the Book of Romans. And to kind of prime the pump, they read the preface to the Book of Romans that Martin Luther wrote. And this is a quote from that preface. Faith is a living, unshakable confidence in God's grace. It is so certain that someone would die a thousand times for it. And this kind of trust in and knowledge of God's grace makes a person joyful, confident, and happy with regard to God. And this is what the Holy Spirit does through faith. And as those words were read, Wesley said, he remembers the day. He, he, I mean, we, we know the day. It was, it was Sunday, May 25th, 1738. He said, at that very moment, as he opened his heart in faith, the Holy Spirit, he said, my heart was strangely warm. His faith went from here to here in a heartbeat. And it lit him up just as Apollos was lit up. And what did he begin to do? <laughs> Ride from town to town in England, sharing the good news of God's grace and the gift of the Spirit to any who would listen. And any who responded, he would immediately organize into small groups that met in one another's homes so they too could experience right, the living power of God in their lives through the written word of God. Now, this has been a, a feature of, of, of my life for years. Um, and uh, even as a staff, uh, every once a month, we go up to Cindy and Craig's house, and Cindy walks us through this simple kind of spiritual retreat, a guided experience, uh, just to, so we can check in and pray with one another and open our hearts to God. And Cindy is so wonderful. She always has some little passage of scripture or some quote uh, by some wonderful Christian writer. And she'll just give us a moment to read it out loud, then to read it quietly. And then we'll share what, what phrase or words the Holy Spirit lit up. Now, you all have a card? Do you all have your colored card? Pull out your card. I want us to test drive this just for a moment today. Now, this is kind of a condensed version. But I just want you to imagine this. My first word to you is, please get into a small group. <laughs> Meet with at least one other Christian sister or brother. And, and open God's word and open your hearts to the spirit when you do. Let's just take a look at the first five verses of Psalm 84. And I'd like you to read them out loud with me. Okay? <clears throat> How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and her a nest for herself, where she may have her young. A place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. And now, just for the, in the next couple moments, I want you to read this silently and quietly in your, in your head, in your heart, and see if the Holy Spirit lights up a word or a phrase.
Now write that phrase or that word or the thought that came to you. Just write it on that card I gave you. Just write that simple phrase. Some years ago, in fact, 24 years ago, I can't believe it, um, uh, I shared an experience in which I was invited to do this through many themes in the scriptures. Um, And this was one of the passages, and the text that the Holy Spirit highlighted for me was, even the sparrow has found a home. Even the sparrow has found a home. And those words reminded me of other words Jesus had said about how much God cares for the sparrows. And how the kingdom of God is like a, a little mustard seed you plant it and it grows into a great, a great garden bush in which what? The birds of the air find shelter and can make their nests. And um, because uh, God has given me the gift of song, um, I decided to uh, uh, take a, fr- that fr- a phrase that came to my heart and put it to, put it to music. And here it is. 24 years later these scriptures still speak to me here it is I find refuge in you up a simple phrase, a simple thought that goes from our minds into our hearts, it can become a solace, a comfort, a fire in us that will last for the, throughout. I mean, I'll never forget the, that song. I'll never forget this image. And I, I invite you to maybe take up this, this practice in your own devotional life or, or in a small group. If, if the Holy Spirit lights up a phrase, write it down. Uh, put it on your mirror. Carry it in your pocket. <laughs> don't, don't, don't miss it. And here comes the final, the final little piece. Jesus is the key. He's the one that can unlock the scriptures for you and light up your heart and life with the promise and grace of God. You can open that door for others by inviting them to coffee, inviting them into your home, by sharing your heart and your faith with them, by sharing their hurts and hopes with you. And finally, it will only happen when we open our hearts to the Holy Spirit. It will only happen when we open our hearts to the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that can light up our hearts for Jesus. Think of what Priscilla and Aquila taught Apollos. The promises of Jesus. Jesus said, when the Father sends the counselor, the advocate, he will teach you and guide you into all truth. All right? The Holy Spirit can touch your heart and your life. I mean, 
Have you had a Wesley season where you feel just inadequate? Like you're missing the mark? Like you have failed others? Like you failed God? Like you're a disappointment to yourself? Open your heart to the Holy Spirit. Let the Spirit of Jesus take your faith in God from here to here. It can change your life in a moment. John Orberg tells a story that I have heard so many times from people in other places. This is how God can work. And God can do this in you. He tells the story of a friend, the wife of a couple who had never really been interested in God. Well, because of her acquaintance with him, um, one day she decided to pick up a Bible. Okay. She picked up a Bible and took it home. And one night she couldn't sleep, so she decided uh, to read the Bible for the first time in her life. She opened it up and saw there was an Old Testament and a New Testament, had no clue what that meant. She just figured the New Testament's probably more up-to-date, right? The old one might be obsolete or something. So she started with the New Testament. Well, at midnight, she started reading Matthew. By 3 o'clock in the morning, she hit the Gospel of John. And it was then she fell in love with Jesus. She didn't just read the story. She fell in love with him. She met him. And she gave her life to him on the floor of her living room at 3 o'clock in the morning. That's the power of the Holy Spirit when we open our lives and our hearts to him. When we open the gift of God's word. And that's what can happen when we meet together and encourage one another and share our life with God together. We still have so much to learn. Let's pray. Loving God, how many times in the course of our lives have we made little commitments, you know, to to do whatever we can to let you have a larger place in our life, to how many times have we struggled to to seek your your face and, and, and to sense your presence. But time and time again, we grow cold, we get distant. We don't sense you near, and yet you promise if we seek you, you're already here. So loving God, through the power of your Holy Spirit, open our hearts to you today. Light the fire of faith. Overwhelm us with your love and grace. In Jesus' name, amen.